If I go to the beach with you, will I catch crabs? Answer me this, answer me this. When will 70s kids get over sherbet dip dabs? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. We have an authoritative response to the discussion about Cinderella's blue dress. As, Thank God. Yes. I don't know about you, but I haven't been sleeping the past fortnight. That's because the dress is so uncomfortable to wear in bed, isn't it? Very synthetic. <laughs> Someday my answer will come, I've been singing to myself. Annie says, I just wanted to chime in about Cinderella's dress with some inside information. Ooh. My former job was in costumes with Disney on Ice, and I can assure you that on my show, Cinderella's dress is silver with a light blue sheen. Mm. Like a glacier. Yeah, Annie's attached a photo to prove this. And then all I can say, Annie, is bibbidi bobbidi bothered. Because. <laughs> bibbidi bobbidi blue, you should have said. <laughs> <laughs> because looking at it, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, yes, I accept your definition, but. I would say there's still a case there to say that is actually light blue. I also thought light blue, Ollie. Yeah. Like you described last time. Exactly. Ice blue. So I'd refer you to my previous answer and say, yes, it is. I I said all along, it is white with a shimmer of blue. But I think when you then manifest that in uh, cuddly merchandise in the Disney store for $25 a pop, it comes out as light blue. They can't do that kind of nuance. They can't do that kind of skimmed milk colour. Exactly. Uh, Incidentally, the whole Disney on ice thing... Yes. Did you ever go? Of course not. No. Did that even exist in Britain when we were growing up? I must have been two or three times in my life. Of course you have. Do you like it? Uh, never liked it. Why did you go two or three times then? Uh, because it's just something your grandparents can take you to when you live near Wembley. Oh. Well, um, I don't have that experience. I mean, it's definitely better than Wembley Fruit Market <laughs> uh, <laughs> to an eight-year-old. What about fruit on ice? Did you enjoy that <laughs> little crossover? Did you ever go to Disney on ice, Martin? Did you ever no. go to any kind of any, thing on ice? Any ice-based uh, extravaganza? The Black Country Living Museum well, on I, ice? I went to <laughs> Telford Ice Rink. So oh, okay, I, I, yeah. I was on ice. Yeah, Martin on ice. It's pretty good. <laughs> the thing is with Disney on ice is, especially in the 80s when Disneyland Paris hadn't opened yet, mm. the novelty of seeing those costumes, you know, Mickey and Minnie and all the rest, in the UK was enough enough. It does not need to be on ice as well. Yeah, but them just standing around... Would no. that be as good? I would have liked a, a vaudeville-style like show. The, like the Rockettes, but made of Disney. <laughs> like a, a, you know, an end of the pier show starring my, my favourite Disney characters. That's what I want. You would like to recast a chorus line with Disney characters. Exactly. That would be good, actually. But the ice thing... And don't get me wrong, I know there's like a Germanic vibe to Snow White and Cinderella, and they sort of live in the forest, so they may have encountered ice in their life. Yes, and also there are a lot of balls where there's probably ice in the drinks. Nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, now, I mean, I was just looking at the Disney on Ice website, and don't get me wrong, Frozen makes perfect sense. Yeah. Frozen has come along and 30 years later legitimized Disney on Ice. <laughs> yeah, but the problem there is people will be disappointed if you don't get a full castle made of ice and it's just a flat rink. Well, which might be why the current stars of Disney on Ice are the prince and princess from The Princess and the Frog. Really? Now, that's the black princess that lives in Louisiana. They definitely don't see ice there. Not in great quantities. Doesn't really go along with the music and the style of the uh, thing, which is all about, you know, life in the bayou. Does the frog not live in liquid water as well, rather than water in its solid state? So it would die in ice, possibly. Or hibernate, whatever frogs do. I suppose what I'm saying, Disney on Ice, is let it go. Uh, now you remember as well that we were discussing vasectomies in Answer Me This 318 mm. well Ellie in Gypsy Hill uh, has written in to say regarding the snip and whether one can check its success oneself using a microscope mm-hmm. uh, sadly says Ellie for my childhood memories of using my Toys R Us chemistry set my family has a story that confirms this is possible 
my dad had a vasectomy when I was a child. I found this out at the age of 22 when it came up in a conversation at a family dinner. Oh, would you like more potatoes, darling? Oh, do you remember when your father had his vas deferens severed? (laughs) (laughs) Can you uh, give us that microwave pouch? You just need to snip the end off and put it in. Oh, you want more gravy, do you? Well, there is none. Um... <laughs> uh, following the operation, says Ellie, my dad was too embarrassed to go back for the wanking into a cup part of the process. Why is that the embarrassing part? Surely hmm. that is post the most embarrassing parts. My mum didn't trust that it had worked without confirmation, says Ellie. So he used the microscope from the children's chemistry set my brother and I had at the time to check his own output. Great. How did that go? Uh, I don't have any younger siblings, she says, so it was clearly effective. But I do have a microscope covered in spunky. <laughs> so he wasn't too embarrassed to use a children's toy, but he was too embarrassed to see medical professionals. What a man of inconsistencies. This is Nick from Hitchin. Uh, Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Um, I'm cooking dinner for my wife, one of our standard lazy evening weeknight dinners. It's pasta with spicy sausage, basil and mustard. Um, it's in the Nigel Slater book. There is a great big product shot showing a a huge tub of whole grain mustard and the finished product also in the picture looks like it's got a whole grain mustard, but the ingredients list says Dijon mustard. And my wife and I always argue over this one. If I cook it, I do it with the whole grain mustard in the picture. Uh, If she does it, she does it with the Dijon mustard. Both taste nice, although we both think our version is better. So answer me this. Who is right? Is it the person that did the product shot or is it the person who wrote and uh, proofread and approved the text in the recipe um, that would uh, resolve a long-standing disagreement for us. Thank you, bye! I don't understand the problem if both versions are nice. I totally understand the problem. You've bought a celebrity cookbook. You want to know which part of the book is authentically the voice of the celebrity speaking to you through your 999 gift. Is it the recipe as written verbatim from Nigel Slater's own mouth? Or the picture taken by food stylists? Well, this is it. I mean, we've we've debunked the whole food stylist bollocks before, and, and therefore on that basis it is more likely, isn't it, that a food writer has written the words than taken the picture. And someone else has been sent out to buy mustard. Which mustard? Oh God, I don't know! <laughs> yeah. I've seen uh, versions of this from the book online, including Nigel's own Observer column. Bloody how you've done some proper research, Helen. Of course, this is very Glo- important. Glory be. Bringing down their marriage for years. <laughs> so the version in Nigel Slater's Observer column from, I think, 2001 specifies grainy mustard. Grainy? Well, that's what whole grain exactly. mustard is. However, yeah. the version on the BBC website to go with one of his TV series specifies a spoonful of both grainy and Dijon mustard. Okay. Um, so maybe you should just do that and save your marriage. <laughs> Yay! Maybe Nigel Slater, you know, we think of him as being this... This food expert. Unassailable. Maybe he's actually quite erratic and clumsy. Maybe he handed in a whole load of notes to the publisher and he's like, ah, oh, just put some of these recipes <laughs> He together. just wrote random food words on a piece of paper. <laughs> I put them together in something that sounds nice. Yeah. I'm sure that's basically what Otolenghi does a lot of the time. Just like cream. <laughs> Sumac. Uh, yeah. Just Freaky. <laughs> <laughs> Pomegranate and guitar straps from Arabia. That sounds fine. Right, I'm off to brunch. Like David Bowie lyrics, basically. Just big word soup. <laughs> I like cut-ups. Yeah. William Burroughs technique is applied to recipes. Yeah. Nice. That seems actually plausible. Maybe this tells us more about Nigel Slater's inconsistency than it does about any fault at the publisher or within your ridiculously pedantic marriage. Maybe Nigel Slater likes both grainy mustard and smooth mustard. Yeah, but he should have specified, as he did in the BBC recipe. It's like, I mean, as usual, what, say, the extra research that our public service broadcaster puts into things is worth the licence fee, folks. Yeah, Hashtag save the BBC. But what if sometimes he prefers the grainy version, sometimes the smooth, but he likes them generally... <laughs> 
just as much as the other one. So he doesn't want to make a call, but it's all according to the tide of his mustard mood at the time. If we were to make this recipe now, which mustard would you choose? Uh, it depends which mustard we've got in the house, which is almost certainly just going to be smooth English mustards. Now, you see, now this is interesting, this business about substituting ingredients. Mm-hmm. I'm someone who, if I'm making a recipe, and I don't very often because it's a pain in the ass, and I'm, I'm not very good don't at like it. like reading. But if I'm going to make a recipe, <laughs> uh, I'll take a picture of the book. Yes. And take my smartphone to the supermarket and buy yes. everything on there, even if some of it clearly is just store cupboard ingredients and I've got something very similar. Even if it's like garnish with parsley. Yeah. You buy the parsley. Buy the parsley. You put it on the side, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and then waste it, yeah. Even if it says, you know, white cider vinegar instead of red cider vinegar, things like that, I will buy exactly what it says. Okay, why, yeah. why is that? Because what? I'm following the recipe and so I don't want... I want the minimum amount of blame on myself. Oh, I see. Mm. When it's just absolving yourself from responsibility, I do get it. Mm. So I would actually, and this is why I understand the concern here, yeah. I would go and buy Dijon mustard especially to make this recipe, even if I had five other types of I mustard. I have to say, fridge. though... So t- to find out afterwards that whole grain would have been acceptable, I'd be fucking fuming. In the Marie Shagkill situation, I would definitely kill Dijon mustard. Yeah. I've got an idea, though. Mm. Perhaps you could do a blind taste test. Get around a panel of trusted friends. Mm. You and your wife both prepare <laughs> equal quantities of your mustard pasta mm. and thus prove by jury which is the best mustard. No, it's, it's not a blind... Because the flavours of Dijon and whole grain are so distinct. No, it's cheese based on the preference for which kind of mustard, not the how well it works in the recipe. I don't think in a recipe with spicy sausages you're going to know that exactly which mm, mustard you got. That's, that's interesting. Unless you're sensitive to the texture of the grains. Here's a question from Cheesy, who says, Helen, answer me this. Who is Simon? As in the popular children's party game, Simon Says. The Simon that is most cited online, but based on a Yahoo article which itself does not offer any evidence for this assertion, okay. is the Roman historian and orator Cicero. Okay. So it could either be a corruption of Cicero says, yeah. or just total bullshit. Um, <laughs> and then the other historical contender, slightly more convincingly, is Simon de Montfort, the sixth Earl of Leicester, who captured Henry III and his son, the future King Edward I, at the Battle of Lewis. And it meant that for the next year, every order that Henry III gave could have been uh, overturned by Simon de Montfort until he was defeated at the Battle of Evesham. I'm shocked that kids don't remember that when it's told to them. <laughs> <laughs> Simon says, countermand that law. <laughs> well, so, so the king was nominally ruling, but because the king was captive, Simon was effectively ruling. Yeah. Right, Precisely, okay, so it okay. makes more sense of why you'd be following Simon. So I think that. That's a good story, but I also think it's a bullshit story. And I'm not sure that there's a real Simon. It could be Simon the Apostle. He was Mm. quite authoritative. Or Paul Simon. Yes. He's quite charismatic. He's bossy, isn't he? He He's quite bossy. Yeah. Yeah, In Art Garfunkel's world, that is the Simon. That would be fun, wouldn't it, if you did the counterbalance? You know, Simon says, put your hands on your head. Garfunkel says, just be that man. (laughs) This is a game I would love to play. This is like Michael Jackson. (laughs) Simon says, sit on the floor. Garfunkel says, just forget about it. (laughs) Um, I I actually always disliked Simon Says as a game. No one tells an only child what to do. I think I disliked the groupthink. That was the thing. Mm. I just, and it was partly because I didn't know. I was like, who the fuck's Simon? Rebel sheep against your invisible lord. Simon's got something to say to me. Come here and say it himself. Don't hide behind you, party entertainer dressed as a clown. It's basically Scientology for kids, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. And it never seemed to me either to tally with that classic teacher's refrain. Oh, you only did that because Helen did it, did you? Well, if Helen told you to run under a bus, would you do that? Well, if Helen told you to jump off a cliff, would you do that? No, I wouldn't. Right? 
But, I, but if you told me to, to push someone in the face, I would, because it's funny. <laughs> right? If I tell you to do what you want to do, yeah. then you're into it. Fine. It's odd that you'll allow yourself to be ruled by cookbooks and not humans. <laughs> but the point is, the teacher would say that and then in the same breath say, let's play a game of Simon's Hairs. Yeah. And I think, hypocrite. It's a bit like the Divine Right of Kings, isn't it? Really? It's a sort of appeal to authority. Well, in other countries, Simon Says is called Master or King instead of mm. Simon. So does figure. Ah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now that's interesting because we actually still have a monarchy. Yeah. So if here it was called the the king says, you'd sort of be training children to understand the important importance of, of monarchistic rule. But it's impossible to understand the importance of monarchistic rule since it is completely useless. <laughs> that's true. I've taken more instructions from a fictional Simon than I have from Queen Elizabeth II. And yet she gets all the stamps. Unfair. If you got a question, got a question, email your question, email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. It's great, it's great. Uh, here's a question for you, Helen, from Rupert in Richmond, who says, My daughter has started doing arts and crafts at nursery. Even you didn't start that early, did you? I think at nursery I was learning ancient Greek. Yes, I was going to say, you were Latin literate before you even picked up a needle. Uh, and she comes home, says Rupert, all the time with stuff that has glitter all over it, and it gets absolutely everywhere. Helen, answer me this. What is glitter, and how do you make it? Well, Rupert... Glitter is, is mainly made out of uh, shredded plastic or paper uh, that has been chemically coated with paint or aluminium or aluminium has been baked on it. You are ruining all the magic. I, until no. now, assume there was some kind of labour camp for pixies and fairies where they make this stuff out of their bums. It's just, it's just crap, isn't it? It's like when we learnt how hundreds and thousands were made <laughs> and it was just as unromantic as how they make plastic packing beads. The plastic is usually mylar, so it's kind of like making one of those big space blankets. It's the same process they use to make foil crisp packets. Yeah, it sounds quite specialised. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if... You know, like, when they there, there was that hummus health scare about five years ago? What? And it turned out... The enemy all along. Um, <laughs> it turned out that um, M&S hummus and Tesco hummus and Sainsbury's hummus, it's all different prices, all slightly different ingredients, you know, different quantities of tahini and garlic, all made in the same factory. So when oh. there was an outbreak of um, whatever, listeria or whatever it was in the factory... All humai was affected across all supermarkets. And the British middle classes were wiped out within days. <laughs> within days. They were malnourished within a week. Um, I wonder if glitter's a bit like that. I wonder if actually all glitter, you know, the ones that come in the £50 Harrods crackers and the ones that come in the pound shop crackers actually come from the same place because yeah. it's glitter. Yeah, you can't really tell. I suppose with the Harrods stuff, you might put it under a microscope and found that it's made of actual ground diamonds or something. Mm. But glitter was invented by a cattle rancher. How come? Uh, maybe just like things that were shiny and you missed them just being surrounded by unshiny cows all the time. <laughs> there probably is an agricultural purpose for it, actually, though, isn't there? Birds get frightened or attracted to shiny mm. things, don't they? Yeah, well, I think it was an accident, like so many discoveries are. This guy in 1934 was doing his hobby, which was being a machinist, mm-hmm. and um, he thus accidentally discovered how to make the machine cut these minute little bits of shiny. And wh- how were they first used? 1934. That was during quite an austere era, wasn't yes, it? Yes, there wasn't a great States. deal of festivity going on. Yeah. 
I actually miss glitter during the rest of the year. I because I don't have children. I only really see glitter at Christmas. We used to have a glitter toilet seat. I missed that. That was yeah. great. Yeah. But the point is, like, it's weird, isn't it? Like January to November, no glitter. Then no. suddenly December, everything bam, common as muck. Glitter mm. everywhere. Glitter falling out of cards. Glitter stuck to the wall. But then you do get glitter the rest of the year because it's in your carpet. Yes, and of course that's the affliction that Rupert is referring to. It's like a shiny virus, isn't it? Do you know what? It's actually better though than I don't even know the vocabulary for this, the word for this. But when I was seven, I went mm-hmm. to see the Muppet Show live. Yes, and on ice. Was, it wasn't on ice. And <laughs> on the, dry land. And therefore, I was happy. <laughs> and um, the last time I was truly happy. <laughs> it was really good, actually. They had Statler and Waldorf up in the royal box. They did the whole oh. thing properly. I don't actually remember the show, but I remember being very excited because I was in the same room as Kermit. Anyway. <laughs> Um, I was like off my tits on Fanta Uh, but in the audience they you know like now when you go to bonfire night they have those special torches that people have just on bonfire night and you never see them any other time that have like UV stuff in well those little rave bracelet things yeah exactly they didn't have those this predated the technology of those so what they had in the mid 80s instead of that was a battery operated little pin torch with like a Duracell AA battery in it and then at the end, these like strands of some kind of polymer. Do you remember those? Oh, and they'd all be yeah. different colours at the end. Yes, and like they the fibre optic colors. brush. Yes, fibre optic brush, yeah. And that, I mean, I was just tripping on it. Yes, you know, quite like, right. Like a 17-year-old at an ecstasy party. Probably staring at one of those same things because you used to be able to get those light fittings <laughs> as well where you yeah. just looked at a big bunch of fibre optic spangles. But then, of course, I took it home. The battery mm, ran out. Oh, no. And then one day I stepped on it. Oh, the magic was broken. shards shards and shards and shards in my family carpet for i mean i would say a decade (sighs) the cat was eating them they were getting in between your feet yeah it's extraordinary so you don't know how lucky you've got it actually rupert glitter ain't so bad you know though uh, i was at a folk festival uh, yesterday i didn't know that no, really that's not the bit i was testing no. um but it, i was it was good my friends who i was with ben and nikki their little girl charlotte was with us who's two years old and i didn't realize this until i went but apparently two-year-olds don't really like folk so oh, really? um, what? So, what are they into then? Like Delta Blues? <laughs> so I think more into bluegrass. Extraordinarily, at some point between Mary Shapin Carpenter and Bellowhead, Charlotte wanted to go and do something else. So they took her to uh, the story tent, um, and she went and did that. But then they took her to the lavender pit. And this is a new thing that I've never seen. Have you seen that before? A lavender pit? Isn't that what they used to call latrines? Yeah. Wasn't well, that used to be the jail that they would put uh, gay men in before being gay was legal? It's a sand pit. Yes. With loads and loads of little chopped up bits of lavender. That sounds great. Like a potpourri oh. for two-year-olds. Kitty potpourri to and cover then... up the smell of their shit and piss. <laughs> <laughs> What's amazing is they were so amused and excited. Like, honestly, 35 minutes went by. I mean, a good seven Mary Shapping Carpenter songs. <laughs> And Charlotte was just scooping up lavender and pouring yeah. it over her head, pouring it over another baby's head, pouring it on the floor, touching the lavender. Like a lavender baptism. And I was like, wow, you don't even need glitter, really. No. You know, if you offer them anything they can hold and play with, they're sort of, that sounds wrong. But you know what I mean? Anything that's small and attractive to them, they'll play with. Yeah, anything that's monotonous and seemingly has no appeal to you. Yeah. Here's a question from Preston. He says, Ollie, answer me this. Ritz. Biscuits or hotel, which came first? Are they connected? If so, why no Hilton wafers or Travelodge crackers? Because Travelodge is not giving you anything extra. That's true. And actually, there are Hilton biscuits uh, or, for the uh, Americans listening, Doubletree cookies. That's the thing. If you go to Doubletree by Hilton, they give you a free warm cookie. I say free. It's built into the price. Probably costs £5 more to stay there. (laughs) Um, But that's their thing. If you stay at Doubletree, free cookie when you get there. And if you go to Travelodge, you think it's a cracker, but it's actually your towel. Anyway, point is, (laughs) I don't think they even have ever served Ritz crackers at the Ritz. Although I suppose, Mm. you know... 
Uh, I'm trying to think of a famous person that stayed there and the first two names that came to my head were Michael Jackson and Joan Rivers and I thought, shit, what's the contemporary reference for someone who stays at the Ritz? Thatcher's dead. Who stays at the Ritz now? Well, now I feel like I'm cursing somebody if I say that person <laughs> no, stays yeah. at the Ritz. Think of a person who's contemporary who would stay at the Ritz. Well, I don't know. They would have to be pretty old because otherwise you'd go to oh, a slightly God. cooler place. Yeah, like old glamour... Jackie Mason would probably stay at the Ritz when he's in London. If he could afford it. I reckon he'd stay at the Dorchester, really, but let's say. Okay, so Jackie Mason wants to order Ritz crackers to his room at the Ritz. I'm sure they'd do it for him. Um, but... just, just so that he stopped complaining. <laughs> just to dry out his mouth. <laughs> we, we should have taken some Ritz crackers for him in episode 206. Maybe would have hated us a bit less. Um, but anyway, in the dining room, there's never been any formal connection between Ritz crackers and the Ritz. The hotel came first, but it's not a coincidence. Uh, Ritz crackers were named after the Ritz hotel in a very pre-copyright era kind of way. Was it to give the impression of fanciness whilst offering nothing of the kind? Indeed. Uh, and that's, in fact, uh, you know, related to your glitter uh, history a moment ago because in the same sort of time same sort of period 1934 i mm. think the ritz cracker was invented and then they crumbled it and said that could be glitter you know um, <laughs> it you know came out the depression era america yeah. uh, people wanted affordable snacks uh, yeah. so this was something that made people feel a bit better about the fact they just lost all their money and they didn't have a job uh, they could afford a ritz cracker that glimmered because it was buttery uh, compared to other crackers which only reminded them of their poverty Aww. But also, there were a lot of decades in which very processed, kind of crappy by today's standards foods were pretty classy. Well, because the whole notion of a processed food that would be the same in every city was sort of, I wouldn't go as far to say glamorous, but was a novelty, was kind of magnificent, wasn't it? Wasn't yes. it particularly post-Second World War. Yes. Even First World War, they were like, we've just been eating sawdust for four years. Give us that turkey twizzler thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting, isn't it? Like, people now talk about, oh, the war generation, you know, they knew how to how to make food from scratch and they had time for each other and they were good neighbours and yeah, well, they, they were didn't healthy. have TV. Uh, yeah. uh, whereas actually it was exactly that generation who at the first opportunity were like, give me a fucking fridge. I want a microwave. Yeah, give me white bread. I, yeah, I want to go on jumbo jets and I want to forget that the war happened. And has the Ritz never tried to shut down this menace that threatens to overtake their brand recognition? I think not because that would seem a little bit below mm. their brand. But what crackers do they serve at the Ritz with cheese? I bet... It, they're not particularly classy crackers. I bet they're those like Hovis ones that look like a miniature loaf of bread yeah, that come I, in a multi-pack. Yes, but I bet they're not the ones that you buy in Marks and Spencer. I bet they're ones you can only get in very, very expensive food halls. They'll be ones you can get in Fortnum's, but they won't taste any better. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be from Switzerland, but they'll be the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think we're all agreed on that. And that's what you Rubbish. want from the Ritz, and that's why Ritz wouldn't demean themselves by trying to sue a cracker company. What does Ritz actually mean? The hotel yes. was named after its founder. Oh, Mr. Uh, Ritz. Swiss hotelier Cesar Ritz. And uh, his nickname was King of Hoteliers and Hotelier to Kings, which sounds mm. like an introduction to a pro wrestler. So presumably the adjective Ritzy is just comparing something to the Ritz. To the Ritz Hotel, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. Which actually, I mean, I think in the long run, uh, all of this stuff has helped the Ritz's brand image. Yeah. The Ritz Cracker being an absolutely entry-level product that every American preschooler eats at some point, means that they are going to grow up if they ever start earning 100 grand a year to think I'm going to stay at the Ritz. Yeah. I think they, they, there is an association that's been helpful for them. I don't think it would be useful for them to shut it down. Do you think psychologically we think Ritz crackers are better than tuck biscuits even though they're basically the same substance just because there isn't a hotel tuck on Piccadilly? There's the Trade Unions con- Congress. It's true, but it's just not quite as glamorous. Well, listeners, I don't know if any of you have actually uh, stayed in the Ritz and have any... I can be pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might have some inside scoop on what crackers they actually use there. Or if you're going to the Ritz this summer on your summer holiday. Uh, but if you're not, and just hazard a guess that the majority of you are not, perhaps you could 
have a cheaper getaway by buying the Answer Me This Holiday album. Uh, it's available on iTunes, it's available on Amazon, and it's available for just £2.49 from our own shop, answermethisstore.com. If you want to give us all of the money instead of large corporations. Indeed. And it's, it's an album all about, and by album we basically do just mean hour-long edition of the podcast, all about going away on holiday, Foreign hotels, uh, weird stuff that happens in uh, other places. And today's intermission is one such weird thing happening to Ollie in another place. Sex on the beach, the way they do it. It's, it's very precise, and if you haven't been there, you'll think I'm making this up, but this is institutionalised across Cancun as a resort. <laughs> um, the ladies throw your head back Pour it down your mouth. Oh. Swing your head from side to side. Pinch your nipples. Whoa! Turn you over. Smack you on the bum, and then rub their hand just below your groin uh, and laugh. That is such a violation. If it was male shots, people doing that to women, there'd be an absolute uproar. That's right. Although the women often elect to have it done, but it is female shot pourers. I get very uncomfortable if, in conversation, someone lightly touches my arm. I would not cope well with nipple that. squeeze. Yeah. But whenever I make Martin a cup of tea, I uh, throw it down his mouth <laughs> and slap him on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, Helen, but I am ready to hear a question from our phone line. I am always ready for that, Ollie. Well, just because I said I didn't know, that didn't mean I was curious. Oh. Here's the number. 0208123 And you can Skype answer me this. Hello, my name is Sarah from Riverside, California. Please answer me this. I live with my mom, a housemate, and the housemate's girlfriend. The girlfriend is new, has lived here for less than an, a year. For six years before that, another girlfriend of his lived here, and she and I were our pretty good friends. Every year we have an Independence Day party at the house, and this year I invited the old girlfriend. So my question is, uh, does this make me an asshole? I think if you did not consult with your housemate and his girlfriend and just went ahead and did it, it does make you a bit of an asshole. Well, you don't have to use the word asshole. I mean, I, I think if she didn't confer in advance... Uh, that makes you almost endearingly insensitive, like a kind of idiot savant for rudeness. <laughs> but certainly I, I would agree with Helen's suggestion that the convention would be to run it past the ex-boyfriend uh, before yeah. you invite her back round to the house when the new girlfriend will be there in a way that will remind everyone that they used to be together. Yeah, yeah. I mean... That would be polite, wouldn't it? Also, you run the risk of them retaliating next year by inviting your elementary school bully or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think also, because it sounds like their breakup is relatively recent, it's too soon for this. Whereas if it was five or ten years down the line, there'd be some curiosity to bumping into an old flame. I mean, also, the new girlfriend might be totally cool with it. So yeah. know, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a problem. But the reason you are a bit of an asshole is you haven't really thought about her feelings at all. And you live with this woman. Um, <laughs> and she may take it as, and this would be wrong, but I've, I've known women to behave in this way and you can choose to call it irrational if you want. She may take it as you prefer the old girlfriend to me. Yes. Even though it's not inviting her to be the girlfriend, it's just inviting her as your friend, she might take it as undercutting her role at the party, which is to be his girlfriend. Maybe you should have got your mum to decide, since she lives with all of you and she's probably quite a good adjudicator, slightly more removed from it all. Well, I think everyone would probably say, you know what, this year, Sarah, give it a rest. I think yeah. actually we are saying you're an asshole, Sarah. I think actually in conclusion. I sorry. don't want to, Sarah. No, but just that a was, bit of an asshole. That's a bit of an assholey thing to a, do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're a glimpse of an asshole through someone's shorts. You're not like a full, you know, splayed out. Like Marilyn Manson. <laughs> I don't. Know. Did you just pick a name of someone no, you think gets, is a bit he, of an asshole? He gets his bum out. Uh, oh, shows, does he? And, yeah, he kind he? of right. really properly waves his, his anus around. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, he's, I don't know if he still does. Okay. Having said that, Sarah is a bit of an asshole, though. I will defend her by saying I would kind of 
like to watch that showdown if I was at that party. Mm. Bit of a scrap is often fun to report afterwards. Oh, how was your 4th of July? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Another question of uh, international relations from Duncan, uh, who says, I've been living in New Zealand for almost nine years, and I'm very happy in my adopted home. Seems like a happy place, New Zealand. Mm. I plan to eventually take the final step and become a Kiwi, but not quite yet. As a permanent resident, I get almost all the benefits of being a Kiwi, so there isn't a particular hurry to naturalise. Okay. One benefit, though, I do get as a permanent resident is being allowed to vote in elections and referendums. And I'm happy to do this, as it affects me just as much as it does the Kiwis. But I have something of a quandary coming up. In the next year, New Zealand will be voting on whether or not to change their flag. A debate that's been raging since the early 70s. I had no idea. No. Why? Because it's got the Union Jack on it, basically. Yeah. yeah. I don't know enough about Kiwis as to whether or not they're going to... Australians, I think, would ultimately get rid of the Union Jack. You know, there's a few royalists left, aren't there? But ultimately, they'll get rid of it. But Kiwis, I don't know. I reckon they probably quite like having a slightly more important country on their flag. Well, the fact that it's taken them 40 years to get around to referending this makes it seem like they don't want to make too much of a fuss about the flag. Anyway, Duncan continues, I'm not sure this is something I should vote on. It's not a matter of governance or taxation that affects me. It's a question of culture and nationalism that cuts deep into the meaning of being a Kiwi in the 21st century. And as such, it isn't something I really have a stake in. But it is. If you've made your home there, then you're a Kiwi of the 21st century, aren't you? You've spent most of the 21st century thus far in New Zealand. Well, he says I have the right to vote in the referendum. I certainly have opinions. But Helen answered me this, should I vote on this issue? Sounds like you're leaning Mm. towards yes. 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 (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm referending myself right now. I I agree. I, I think yes, too. I always think if you have the possibility to vote you should use it even if you don't actually deliver a choice one way or another just demonstrate the fact that you appreciate your opportunity to vote this is kiwis deciding the future for their own country and you are part of that future whether you're a citizen or not if they change the flag they're doing that because they want to choose a flag that represents who they are now and you're part of that yeah so if you'd be part of the new flag then you you, you're allowed to vote to be part of the old flag as well they've got public submissions for the new flag and there are like ten thousand options that they're going to have to sift through one of them looks a bit like an embryonic alien i quite like that one uh one of them looks like a kiwi bird smoking a silk cut (laughs) some of them are a bit too playful I, i i wouldn't be at all surprised if in the end they end up choosing one that like everyone else's flags is basically stripes Well, I think you want a flag that is easily replicable. If you can't paint it on your face with ease at sporting events, then your flag has failed. That's what New Zealand needs to vote on. Yes, I think you're right, actually, because ours is tricky to paint on your face, isn't it? Not England, but Britain. The Union Jack is a good one to paint on your face, I think. Even if you get the colours the wrong way around in the Union Jack, people will know what you were trying to do. Mm. So I think that works. And it only requires three types of face paint. So I think that is a good one. Right, Okay. Black Country uh, flag was designed by a child. It's quite good, I think. I mean, not uncontroversial. So explain the controversy, Martin. It depicts chains on it to do with the fact that there were chain makers in black country and uh, that's uh, been linked to the history of British slavery, which is not, not a great connection. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have necessarily associated the black country with chains more than, say, black pudding or stainless fasteners that you were manufacturing well, no, in the iron, 80s. Iron, iron work and leather work and things like that were quite a big part of the black country. So, yeah. I, mean, I mean, maybe it's just the, the way a 12-year-old parlays that into, into a, a tangible good. You can't communicate the concept of tannery you can communicate the concept of tannery it's just a river of shit if you don't even know what a question is then you're probably at the wrong place 
Cause religion's on Godcasts, dogs are on dogcasts, fish are on rodcasts, but we don't do fish. Cause on this podcast, you answer me this. Here's a question from Nigel who says, I have a rather unusual relationship with a lady who is a professional dominatrix. I am her personal slave. That sounds Mm. like the usual relationship you would expect. What this entails, says Nigel, is going round to her house, which she shares with her long-term partner, to clean once a week. Ingenious. Good Mm. work, dominatrix. So far, you just sound like a cleaner, Nigel. (laughs) Hate to break it to you. (laughs) Buying her nice gifts. This woman's genius. Cleaner meets sugar daddy. Sometimes being called up to do odd jobs. Handyman. Going out for food and drinks. Or maybe... A day out. That's where it gets weird. Yeah. Because that's almost like a relationship of equals. Sometimes I massage her if she calls after a busy day. Sometimes I go to her dungeon where she can enjoy her sadistic hobbies. That sounds more in keeping than the massaging. Yes, I think that's the thing where you've definitely tipped the scale there into full-on dominatrix behaviour. But maybe that is part of the thing that keeps you trembling in anticipation. Will she want a massage today or (laughs) will she want to stamp on my face? (laughs) Will we be going to Madame Tussauds or will I be in the dungeon? (laughs) (laughs) London dungeon. Yeah, I guess. It's probably a two-for-one ticket. Probably is a two-for-one ticket. Tussauds attractions. You know, they they do a very good deal now. It's five-for-one. Really? Five for one. Going to the Clinton Museum. Uh, I've never been there. No, I think it's the Sea Life Aquarium. Yeah. Uh, mm. To Swords, the London Eye, the London Dungeon, and something really just shit. Go to the, just go to the Eye. Really? As long as it's a clear day. Anyway, Nigel continues. She has a sadistic sense of fun, which turns me on, although she locks me in chastity. I assume he means chastity belt. Yet, says Nigel. She is also a really caring and nurturing person. Well, it's because she's worked out all of her non-caring and nurturing traits at work. Yeah, she knows how to nurture her housework through free (laughs) assistance. She is my new idol. Uh, I suppose that's how she gets people, isn't it? (laughs) Draws you in with a business plan, then suddenly you take her to Madame Tussauds. Uh, I feel lucky to be able to serve her in this position that I find myself. That you're paying for? Not clear. If she's giving it to you for free and you want it, then, yeah, you are lucky. If you're paying for it, then that just seems like the nature of the transaction, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? Who's paying for the tickets to the days out? (laughs) So many questions. I mean, it's a detailed email, but there's so many questions. Yeah. However, he says, I am in my early 30s. It changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I have a reasonably successful career working in the public sector uh, in a very traditional and respected profession. Mm -hmm. Not a politician, then. Uh, I go to the gym five times a week, so I'm in good shape, uh, and I can attract... Women. Oh, you've got it all you've going for you. You've got the skill set. Helen, answer me this. Am I nuts? Not sure that's relevant. I think that's a very polite way to deal with that question. Thanks. Should I feel guilty? What's he feeling guilty about? I don't know. Is it that the days out feel relationshipy, whereas the dominatrix stuff feels like the professional sub-dom situation? No, I think this is good old bog-standard shame about his sexual proclivities although he's written into oh. us about it but then he's a man of many contradictions he is really so he's not feeling guilty about their marriage if her partner lives with her in a house in which there's a dungeon i'd imagine he's fully aware of uh, what she gets up to 
I think that's probably right. I mean, he says, just to clarify uh, in a postscript, mm-hmm. uh, there is no sex between us. That'll be because of the chastity belt, I would imagine. <laughs> and also that is usually the way, isn't it, with the professional dominatrix I've no situation? Idea. Is that really? The, I thought it always was kind of foreplay that went on for ages, but it still ultimately led to some kind of sex. No? Mm, I think the lack of sex is part of it. Ollie. Oh, it's, it's so much hornier, isn't it, when you definitely don't have sex? It's so, so much hornier when you get kicked in the nuts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, (laughs) weird I say but also fine like you know happy to celebrate it if that's your thing yeah there is no sex between us she is monogamous with her partner I get let out of my cage on average every six weeks I think he means the chastity thing right Uh you only get the chastity thing comes off every six weeks normally she teases me with it on Um, it's just like oh you've got spots and I should add, she... <laughs> you run funnily, <laughs> pigeon toed. Uh, and I should add, she is easily the best-looking woman I've ever known. There are a lot of non sequiturs here, going from the cage to the easily best-looking woman I've ever known. Like, what's the problem? You got a woman doing her job, yeah, and you're having feelings that are completely irrelevant to that. Yeah, that, I, maybe well, that's the problem. Yes, I th- agree. I think actually the problem is. In this uh, relationship, although he wouldn't call it that, in this transaction, although he might not be paying for it, he feels Mm -hmm. emotion. Yeah. And yet his role in the transaction is to suppress that and to be in her hands. And he likes that, but on reflection, he's like, but I've got all these emotions I haven't dealt with because I'm a man. I think that's what's happening. Well, not necessarily because he's a man. He's got all these emotions. No, because he's a because he's a, a person. I mean, because oh, he's right, a real right, you know right. a human being. Yeah, because women, women can have those. Feelings. I wasn't suggesting yeah. they couldn't. <laughs> so he seems to be getting confused. Like she's just doing everything as normal, except maybe the outings, which does seem a bit weird. But yeah. she hasn't. <laughs> but... If she's a professional and she's using you for free, I wonder if she's abusing some sort of trade union code for dominating. Is there a contract? Often there's a contract. Yeah. Anyway, by the by, check the terms and conditions. Mm. It's in the small print on the wall of your dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> so she's maintaining monogamy. She's doing her dominatrix job mm. and you're feeling pleasure pain out of it. So everything is as it should be, isn't it? What's the problem here? The input and the output are exactly how they're supposed to be in this transaction. Oh, the, the, the problem is there isn't an outlet for his emotions. That's why he's giving them to us. Right. He can't tell her that these things that he's feeling because that's not part of their relationship. That's the point. Right, okay. Well, in that case, maybe find another dominatrix where the you don't go on outings to Madame Tussauds and the lines are a lot more drawn. Write her. That's what a psychologist would say. Write her a letter. You'd have to send it don't to send her. Don't send it. Yeah. Don't send it. Write her a letter and then get it all off your chest instead of sending it to us because we're not your dominatrices. No, and also we are the most pathetically, dismally square people people to ask this to i do find i mean i i don't think i could be dominated or dominant to an extreme degree obviously you'll be dominated by a cookbook (laughs) but (laughs) in 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 every sexual encounter i dare say there's you know someone who's in control someone who's slightly more passive arguably i don't think i could go to the extremity of that situation well people have different tastes don't they but the point is i think as soon as you're completely sublimating control you're in a rape fantasy situation if i'm the person doing that I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm a rapist then. Mm. I don't find that a turn on. Even if the person I was doing it to wanted me to. I think the idea in a lot of subdom situations is that it is actually the sub who has control so that it doesn't then become... But then the fantasy is relinquishing control. I mean, if you're going to do it properly, like what they want... And in fact, it doesn't surprise me at all that you uh, work in the public sector and you have a successful career and da-da-da-da-da. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? 
people who do these quite conservative buttoned up lives yeah they need some outlet yeah with responsibility all the time actually i think very often that's why you're into it like you want you want someone else to make decisions for you and and tell you that you're not important some people join village cricket teams you've done this a sense that he's not been in relationships from his tones like women i can attract women he doesn't say i've had girlfriends or i'm in a relationship or i've been in a relationship recently yeah so it seems to me that what he really wants is a relationship with somebody where he can have a, a fulfilling emotional bond and then there's you know they, they can have this sort of subdom sex stuff yes so it's finding someone who's maybe not as extreme as being a dominate a dominant you know professional dominatrix but who is open enough that that's not something that would freak them out well listeners i don't know whether you can illuminate the dungeon uh, that, of nigel's that, brain yeah because uh, i think we're just all quite perplexed at what he actually needs from us but if you have seen through right, his words I think words... he wanted a lot of banter about the Sea Life Aquarium I oh, think that's what he was after <laughs> he was we'll like, stop on the 5 for 1 that's really going to give me pleasure pain uh, but if you can see through Nigel's words to the emotional world within and uh... well just someone who isn't as square as the three of us mm. who actually can relate to what someone he's talking about someone who's aced this situation yeah and to be clear yeah. his question because we've talked a lot around it is should I feel guilty you know the answer to that you know, if you've been through that yourself, should he feel guilty? Let us know. Drop us a line. The answer's obviously no, isn't it? <laughs> if, he, if he gets off on feeling guilty, then that probably is an okay outcome. A requisite, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's confusing. It's a very complex question. Indeed. Uh, but uh, do send your questions, complex or otherwise, uh, to the contact details on our website. Answermethispodcast.com And I think it's, it is true to say that your questions are both our pleasure and our pain. And one day we'll take you all to the London Dungeon <laughs> on a discount ticket. <laughs> <laughs> what a promise. Be like a flash mob. <laughs> uh, now, remember, in the meantime, to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash answermethis, and Twitter as well. We Yes, Helen and Ollie. It's fun to engage with you, online listeners. Uh, and listen to our other projects as well, Helen. The Illusionist, if you please. Yeah, and Fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and also uh, Tech Weekly, the Guardian's Tech Weekly podcast. I've been presenting it over the summer. Uh, Newsflash, uh, I'm going to continue presenting it all year. Summer uh, loving. So <laughs> <laughs> what happened next? Did they alternate you with a woman? Yes, they did. And it's going to be great. Uh, that's all happening. You were literally clapping with glee when you were talking about that. I'm very excited. I'm very excited yeah. to be doing Tech Weekly. Uh, so, yes, I'm going to be presenting every other episode of Tech Weekly. So find it if you're interested in technology. Marvellous. Thanks. Uh, I've just updated the Martin Sandman page on the Answer Me This website. Holy shit. Yeah. You're kidding. It's really old. I haven't done it for you. Anyway, I've put so some music picture of you when you're about 10 on there. There's still a picture of me when I'm about okay, 10. Okay. Yeah, but there's, there's some, some more recent stuff I've Was there doing, still so. a picture of you riding a rocking horse at my parents' house? I left that one in. I, le- I got rid of the one where I was eating the massive meze because I looked... I you looked, look adorable in I that look, picture, I look young Martin. and I look really old now. So. No, you don't. And uh, we'll be back in a fortnight with the next Answer Me This. Bye! Bye.